Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowicz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. You can listen to all the past episodes by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, an incident in 1861 leads to the first Medal of Honor being awarded, and it has an FDNY connection. In 1867, Dr. Charles McMillan is appointed to be the first official department medical officer. And in 1942, the FDNY Military Services Division is established. Perhaps you will recall from our November 2021 podcast episode, the story about the New York Fire Zouaves, a regiment of the Union Army. At the outbreak of the Civil War, Colonel Elmer Ellsworth came to New York City to recruit a regiment, officially known as the 11th New York Volunteer Infantry, from the ranks of the New York City Fire Department. Well, in May 1861, the Zouaves were encamped at the Washington Navy Yard in the District of Columbia. On the morning of the 24th, Ellsworth was ordered to take a contingent by boat across the Potomac River to the Virginia city of Alexandria. It is a city that was just about to join the Confederacy, and Ellsworth's group was to cut the telegraph lines to prevent any communications with the rebel forces. According to account reported by Zouave Lieutenant H.J. Windsor in the New York Times, that morning, Ellsworth dressed in his uniform and pinned the badge of New York Fire Department Engine Company 14, of which he was an honorary member, on the left breast of his tunic. Supposedly, someone who saw this commented that it might deflect a bullet. He and his men crossed the Potomac River into Alexandria and walked up King Street. On their way up the street, he noticed a Confederate flag flying from a tall mast atop the Marshall House, a hotel at the corner of King and Pitt Streets. Given the buildings of the day, the flag was visible from the White House and reportedly was the bane of President Lincoln. With seven men, Ellsworth entered and asked the manager at the front desk, James Jackson, who was responsible for the flag. When Jackson stated that he did not know, the group, led by Ellsworth, made their way up to the roof and took it down. As they came back down, they were met by Jackson who was armed with a shotgun. He fired one blast that struck Ellsworth in the chest right at his heart. He died instantly. As Jackson fired the second barrel, Private Francis Brownell used his weapon to divert the blast that struck a nearby doorframe. Brownell then discharged his own weapon, mortally wounding Jackson. The group was in shock. Ellsworth was dead. And while Ellsworth himself is not the subject of today's segment, Suffice it to say that he was a close friend, extremely close friend, of President Lincoln and his family. So much so that his remains were placed in repose in the East Room of the White House, later being transported to New York City with an escort of a committee from the New York City Fire Department. He lay in state at City Hall before being returned to his hometown of Mechanicville, New York, for burial.
Ellsworth's death was a very significant, though forgotten, incident of the Civil War. He was the first Union officer to be killed in action. As for Brownell, he became a celebrity. He was touted as a hero, as Ellsworth's avenger, and was invited to visit cities around the country to the cheers of the citizens when he appeared with the captured and bloodied Confederate flag. On July 2nd, 1862, a bill was signed into law creating the Medal of Honor for the U.S. Army. It was Brownell himself who submitted his name to be awarded the medal for his highly visible actions at the Marshall House. It was twice denied, but was approved on a third attempt with the added endorsement of a congressman. The medal was presented on January 6, 1877. At that time, the date of his action, May 24, 1861, was the first such action to be recognized with the Medal of Honor. But a subsequent award, presented to Bernard Dowling in 1894 for his action on February 13, 1861, now marks the first such award. The FDNY has a long history dating back to the American Revolution of participation in the defense of and service to our country. Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Brown, the executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. Charles B. McMillan was born in New York City on November 12, 1825. At the outbreak of the Civil War, Dr. McMillan enlisted in the 71st Regiment of the New York Volunteers. He passed the Army's examination to be brigade surgeon and received the commission as a major in 1861, being promoted to lieutenant colonel four years later. He had a stellar military career, having cared for the wounded on battlegrounds from the East Coast to Arkansas. Upon his discharge from the Army, he returned to his medical practice on East 34th Street in New York City. When President Lincoln's remains laid in state at New York City Hall, Dr. McMillan was one of the officers given the honor of standing guard over the body. Like many high-ranking military officers, when the President was assassinated, he joined the newly formed Military Order of the Loyal Legion to ensure that any threat against our nation would be met by the most experienced veterans. On November 1867, Dr. McMillan was appointed to be the first medical officer of the New York Fire Department. The appointment was made by none other than General Alexander Shaler, who became the president of the Board of Fire Commissioners and was also commander of the Loyal Legion. All members of the department who had sustained injuries or were otherwise ill were ordered to report to Dr. McMillan. In his first annual report to the Board of Commissioners in 1869, Dr. McMillan stated that he had examined candidates for appointment to the department, accepting those, quote, possessing the requisite qualifications of soundness of body, intelligence, and good habits, and rejecting those who, quote, exhibited evidences of defects of either body or mind, or showed evident marks of habits incompatible with the performance of duties, 
at once so arduous and so momentarily responsible, end quote. And as a result of this rigorous process, the number of days lost by reason of illness or by injuries sustained in the discharge of duty showed a considerable reduction over the previous year. In April 1876, Dr. McMillan resigned from his post in the department to become Consul General to Italy, and he moved to Rome. At the time of his passing, on January 7, 1890, Dr. McMillan was the medical referee for the Army's Pension Board in Washington, D.C. He is interred at Arlington National Cemetery in recognition of his service to our country. Again, it's Jennifer Brown, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. If you're looking for a fun family event this holiday season, join us for our annual Santa Rescue on Sunday, December 4th. Starting at 12 noon, Santa will be heroically rescued by an FDNY ladder truck from the roof of the museum. Then join us inside for activities, hot chocolate, snacks, and visits with Santa. And while you're at the museum, don't forget our gift shop which offers a large selection of official FDNY memorabilia, including shirts, hats, and souvenirs. To shop online or to book your tickets for the annual Santa Rescue, go to nycfiremuseum.org. Every November, we like to call attention to the members of the FDNY and their service to our country. Many members were enlisted in the armed forces of the United States prior to their appointment to the department. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and the declaration of war against Japan by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, many firefighters either enlisted, were called up to duty by their status in the military reserves, or were drafted. Special Order 216, dated September 30, 1942, established the FDNY Military Service Division within the Bureau of Fire. Up until that time, any firefighters who had to take leave in order to serve in the military were granted that leave in accordance with New York State law. The law ensured that such members of the department would continue to accrue their seniority and that their jobs would be waiting for them when they returned. It should be noted that when some of them returned, they chose not to continue in their career with the FDNY and were dropped from the roles of the Military Service Division. In cases where a member assigned to the division was killed in action or died of health-related causes as a direct result of their duties, they were acknowledged as a line-of-duty death. During the Second World War, the number of men in the armed forces varied over time, hitting a peak in 1945 at 1,832, out of the total force of 10,775, or 17%. By contrast, during the First World War, out of 5,321 members of the uniform force, over 500, approximately 10%, left the active duty ranks to enter the service of our country. As they returned home and to their jobs with the FDNY, members assigned to the Military Service Division were transferred either back to their original fire company or to a new company. On December 8, 1955, all remaining members in the division were transferred out effectively closing the division. From that point forward, a military service unit was staffed solely for maintaining members' service records or to track those who were on military leave. Now situated in the Bureau of Personnel, the military desk has overall responsibility for affairs involving veterans, 
reserve and guard unit issues, and liaising with outside agencies, as well as managing the on-the-job training program under the GI Bill. The tradition of military service for active members continues. At the present time, there are more than 1,400 members in the FDNY who are veterans or military reservists. 127 active members of the department are on military leave. We salute them for their unwavering commitment to service to our city and to our nation. And now it's time for our Throwback FDNY Trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What historic apparatus did the FDNY use on a trial basis starting in 1872? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwback FDNY. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important reminder. Many New Yorkers will be celebrating Thanksgiving, and in doing so, may prepare a traditional meal centered around a turkey dinner. The National Fire Protection Association estimates that there are approximately five deaths, 60 serious injuries, and over $16 million in property damage caused by turkey or deep fryers each year. These fires occur when the oil used in the fryer spills out, hitting the burner used to heat the fryer. Not only does the oil enlarge the heating fire, it can also cause the flaming oil to be thrown up and into the surrounding area, spreading the fire to furniture, carpeting, curtains, and any other flammable objects. If you or your family plan to use one of these fryers this holiday season, please follow some very important safety measures. These include only using these cookers outdoors and away from flammable materials. That also means not in a garage. Never place a frozen turkey into the fryer. Keep children away from the fryer and never leave the fryer unattended. Follow all of the manufacturer's instructions, particularly regarding the amount of oil to be used. Remember to keep a working fire extinguisher close by and know how to use it properly. For more information on deep fryers, visit fdnysmart.org. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.